Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. If you would join me in the book of Ephesians. We're going to conclude our study this month on the fact that we are a blessed and privileged people. Do you believe that this morning? That we are a blessed and privileged people. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 13 through 18. While you're finding that this morning, aren't you thankful that this is the second to the last service of 2020? <laughs> We're hoping that 2021 brings us some, some, some different, a different atmosphere. And I believe that the church can make that happen as we pray and ask the Lord to help us. And I believe that he will. Ephesians 6, verse 13, the Bible says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And this morning we're just going to take a few moments and talk about our standing in Christ, our standing in Christ. We are a blessed and privileged people. And God has given us access to spiritual gifts that is beyond anything that we could ever imagine, spiritual weapons that are powerful. And for us to be able to utilize them, we must stand firm in truth, and we must fight to preserve our faith. Our country is no stranger to war. Our world is no stranger to war. For centuries, war has marked humanity, and at any given time, somewhere on this planet, there is conflict happening. There's conflict happening right now somewhere in the world, and whether it be an internal conflict or whether it be on an international scale, there are literally skirmishes and battles taking place monthly, weekly, daily all over this planet. Armies have marched into battle for centuries. And these battles, these wars have been both small and great. And whether these nations entered into these battles with sophisticated military weapons or whether they entered into the fight with crude instruments, one common denominator connects them all. There is one very important technology that is needed in battle, and that is armor. Body armor was and still is standard today. 
for any military soldier that's entering into battle or engaging in battle, he or she is going to be issued what is called body armor. You see, you've got to have it to be prepared for combat. If I have anybody here today, I know I do. I have at least one that knows all about body armor. He knows about being issued body armor. He knows about the importance of wearing body armor because you need it in combat. And for it to be effective, it can't just lay to the side. You've got to put it on. It needs to fit. It needs to fit the soldier, and it needs to fit the battle, and you must wear it. Scripture is a, is a teacher of this, a very familiar account in, in Scripture. is an important battle that we find in Israel's history. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel. Two armies find themselves separated by a valley. The situation was assessed. Fighting positions were dug out, and the battle was set in array. However, the Israelite king Saul was distressed and somewhat fearful of the taunts from the Philistine champion across the way. Goliath jeered, and he, he challenged Israel to present a man who would fight against him. They would fight for the right to call the other nation a slave. And day after day, he would stand before them, and he would present himself a very formidable opponent. He was clad head to toe with bronze. He was clad head to toe with armor that weighed in upwards of 125 pounds. He carried a massive spear, the tip of which weighed about 15 pounds. And so he stood more than intimidating. Israel had no man that could match him. Israel had no man that could stand against his stature. But a young lad by the name of David, the son of Jesse, he arrives on the scene to hear that a mocking Goliath, and he becomes absolutely incensed with what he hears and what he witnesses. Not only is this uncircumcised Philistine mocking Israel, but he is in direct defiance of Almighty God. Watching his brethren cower in fear, David convinces Saul to allow him to go out into the battle against the great Goliath. Saul acquiesced, and he allows David to do so, but he does so on one condition, that he wear Saul's armor. The boy tried the armor. It covered all the vital and vulnerable areas of his body, yet he determined not to use it because it had not been proven. Instead, he faced the Philistine armed only with a staff and with a sling and with five smooth stones, and the rest you know is history. David prevailed bringing down the giant with a single stone and removing his head with Goliath's own sword. However, we're talking about armor. David refused the armor of the king. And so the question is this, did David go unprotected? Did David go out unprotected because he refused the king's armor? 1 Samuel 17 and 45, Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And so I'll answer the question with the scripture. David did not go out unprotected, but David went out protected by the Spirit of God. David might not have donned bronze, 
He might not have clad himself in iron, and he may not have possessed contemporary weaponry. But David had something far greater than any of those things could ever do. David went out armed with the Spirit of God that day because David wore spiritual armor. And so can I tell you this morning that whether we believe it or not or whether we want to ignore the fact that we as Christians are in a daily battle. We face spiritual challenges day after day. We face, we face spiritual opposition day after day in our lives. And I'll take it one step further. Contrary to popular opinion, the devil is not only against the ministry. The ministry is not the only combatant in this battle. And whether we want to believe it or not, we are all in a spiritual battle right now as we speak. There are things coming against you right now, trying to take your mind off of what's going on, trying to get you to think about things that you need to do tomorrow or the next day or even next week or next month, and we're fighting a spiritual battle right now as we speak. We have a common enemy between us, and it is not each other, and it's not people, it's not the world. Our common enemy is simply Satan. His intent is not to just destroy the ministry, but we are all on his hit list, every single one of us here today. And in this battle, there will only be one of two outcomes. It will either be defeat or it will either be victory. There are no stalemates. There are no draws. There are no even matches here. There will only be one of two outcomes. It's either going to be victory or it will be defeat. It will either be forward progress or it will be retreat. And I don't know about anybody else here today, but I'm not going to settle for defeat and I'm not going to settle for retreat. I want victory and I want all the victory in my life. But if we're going to experience that, if we're going to, if we're going to have the victory in our lives, there's something that we need to understand and we need to come to the realization of we must first understand where our strength comes from. All the revelations of the Bible, all the truths, all the central truths of the Bible, if we know them, they will not do us any good if we don't first understand that we both need strength and where that strength comes from. We must understand that the strength that we need to endure and to stand and to fight this battle only comes from the Lord. And if we are going to have victory, we are going to have to have supernatural strength. Believers need to understand and need to know that God has both the ability, hear me now, and the, and the desire to give us what we need in order to fight and be strong in this battle. He said, my desire is to give you the kingdom. I want you to have it. I want you to take it, and I want you to have the victory, but we must understand that it only comes from him. Our strength is only from the Lord. According to Acts 9 and 22, Philippians 4 and 13, 1 Timothy 1 and 12, and 2 Timothy 4 and 17 talks about the strength that God can strengthen us to win. It says that he has both the ability to do it and the desire to do it, to strengthen us. The word strength in these passages of Scripture is the word endunamu. 
It means to empower or to enable, to increase in strength, to strengthen, to be strong, or to make strong. And so through his spirit, we are then enabled for war. Through his spirit, we are then enabled to fight the battle. And God will give us the strength to fight that battle, but we must first stand firm. God will enable us, and he will give us what we need to effectively combat the enemy, and he will give us everything that we need to to effectively go through every situation that we have to face. But we also have a responsibility. And it would just be easy to stand back and let God do all the work. He's done a lot. He's He's done more than we could ever deserve. But he also requires us, and he gives us a responsibility. Our responsibility today is simply this. We cannot quit. Now, that sounds so simple, but it would be so much easier sometimes to just throw in the towel and just give all this up and say, I can't do it anymore. But if we do that, we will never win. We'll always be in a perpetual state of loss if we don't stand firm. And so I wonder if I've gathered with some people this morning that will lift a hand and say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to give everything that I have. I can't even afford to entertain the thought. I've got to keep going. But instead of looking at ourselves, instead of looking at the enemy, the insurmountable task that is before us, we must first find ourselves in him. We must understand that our strength comes from him. It comes from the Lord because Jesus Christ has already won the war. He's already won the victory. He's already surpassed everything that we could desire. And strength is already available. Ephesians 6 and 10, Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul uses the phrase in the Lord multiple times throughout his letter to the Ephesians. He places much emphasis on the development of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself. You see, without that personal connection to him, we are vulnerable to every single attack of the enemy. This is why Paul is coming to to a head here. He's coming to a culmination here, and he's calling us to arms. He's saying that there is a battle that is ensuing, and it's time for you to stand, and it's time for you to come to the battle. He admonishes us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He calls all believers to spiritual combat. There are no no positions of neutrality in this because we're all in this together. He's saying that we cannot afford to sit out. And then in Ephesians 6 and 11, he says, put on the whole armor of of God. And this is why that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see the fact is this, Satan, I've already said it, is gunning for everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Or it doesn't matter how much less money you have in the bank. 
It doesn't matter if you're male or female. He's coming after every family. He's coming after every mother and every father. He's coming after your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your friends and your co-workers. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or where you live. He's coming after every single home, and he's coming after every single church. We must understand that his intent is only one thing, and that is to destroy everything that he comes into contact with. That is why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so I said it before and I'll say it again. We simply cannot be neutral in this fight because he's coming after you. He will either overtake you or you will either overtake him. There is no in between. There is no such thing as you, I'll leave you alone and you leave me alone. We'll just, we'll just exist to coexist. That's not, that's not going to work. He's coming after everyone. And so there's a battle. And he's coming after you and he's coming after me. Whether you've already experienced it or not, it's going to happen in your life. But if we can get the proper training, if we, can, if we can implement the proper things in our lives, we will be well equipped for the battle. Now, I have to pause here and say this. I'm not saying that it won't be hard. I'm not saying that it won't be difficult. I'm not even saying that there won't be casualties. But we must not quit. I can guarantee you by the word of God that we will win. If we put on the whole armor, God has already promised us the victory. In Ephesians 6 and 11, the key word is to stand. Unlike soldiers who fought behind walls or on horses, the foot soldier, he donned a complete array of armor, allowing him to fully engage the enemy while having protection from an attack that could come from any side. And so there's a reason for the armor. There's a reason that we must put on the whole armor. But let's pause here a minute. Let's take a step back and let's talk about something very important. If you're going to enter into any kind of conflict, if you're going to engage in any kind of battle whatsoever, there is very a very important thing that you must know. First and foremost, you must know your enemy. Now, I'm not saying that we need to know of him, we need to know him. By scripture, we understand that he does not fight fair. Satan is a deceitful adversary, and he uses deception to accomplish his plan. He's described in Ephesians 2 and 2 as the prince and the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, he's called the God of this world. And so Satan's influence, his fear of influence, is twofold. First, the spiritual realm, which is the air. Secondly, this world, which is the earthly realm. And so right now, he rules over the demons and over the sinners of this world. The devil has a certain wile or a certain cunningness about him that we must avoid and that we must withstand. The word cunning means cunning craftiness or strategies. And so the devil has his own action, his own plan of action to defeat God's plan. His purpose is to snare men. In 2 Timothy 2 and 26, he says that he is, he is, his intent is to tempt men by lies and with deceitful lusts. 
the, the devil is a deceitful angel who transforms himself into an angel of light according to 2 Corinthians 11 and 14. And in Genesis 3 and 1, he's known as the serpent for his subtlety. And he even has his own religious followers and his own ministers who proclaim a false doctrine and a false, go a false, a false gospel. And through their deception, they are causing and seducing people into conflict and into further worship and fellowship to drink at his table. This is what drags people into the depths that Revelations 2 and 24 talks about when he is cast into the bottomless pit. And so I said all that to say this. He's subtle. He's cunning. He's crafty. And only through the new birth can a person be delivered from the power of Satan and translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you he's strong? But he ain't that strong. I'm not giving him air time just because I want to give him air time. He's strong, but he's not that strong. He, he only has what he has because God gives him the ground to have it. But it's only for a season. Satan has a plan, but God's plan is greater. He's powerful, but his power is limited. He is not God. He is not God's opposite. Hear me, he does not rival God. He is not God's polar opposite. He is beneath him. And regardless of what he does in our lives and regardless of what he does to us, we must always remember that. Never forget that. You have the power of God inside of you and you can defeat that enemy. He doesn't have the attributes of God. And so he can't do what God does. He's not, omni he's not omnipresent, he's not omnipotent, and he is not omniscient. The fact of the matter is he's already been defeated. And not only has God defeated him through coming to this earth enrobed in flesh and in, in, in the body of Jesus Christ, not only has he already done that both in the earth and in the heavenlies, but God, God desires to share that victory with his church. We are the church triumphant. We're not weak. We're not weak, need, or anemic. But we are the children of the light. We are God's children. And so through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through the repentance of our sins, baptism in Jesus' name uh, in water and, and the new birth, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues, now the church can carry on the work of Jesus Christ in the earth. We can and we will overcome because we have his blood and we have a testimony. And by that we will win. The Lord has given us the ability to both effectively and, and, and effectively win and combat and resist the devil. James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil hates submission. His whole MO is self-exaltation. He tries to subvert the plan of God by working through the flesh. In the book of Genesis, when God cast the serpent out, which was Satan from the garden, he cursed him. He said, Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Dust, clay. It represents the same substance that man was created from. He uses carnality, and he subserts the plan of God through fleshly desires. But as we submit and surrender to God's Spirit, we can have the victory through 
God's spirit. And so defeat him, we must. And defeat him, we will. But to defeat him, we must put on the whole armor of God. We must have protection. We cannot afford to don the non or the carnal weapons of this world in order to fight a spiritual battle. But we have to don the the non-carnal weapons of our warfare. We must submit ourselves and commit ourselves to wearing it fully. Comparatively, Paul makes this statement in Ephesians 4 and 24. He likens it to this. He said, in that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so likewise, to be victorious in this battle, we need to be filled with the Spirit so that God can work in our lives like spiritual armor. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time thing in an altar. But I've got to put this armor on every day. I have to understand that that the enemy is facing us and that he, he is coming after us. And we must realize the need and then employ all of the armor of God because triumph is already available in our own personal lives. We have to make the choice to employ it. We must be careful not to lose out or leave out one single piece of this armor. All of it works together in one complete unit one working in direct connection to the next, and so on. The purpose of this spiritual armor is simply to enable us to stand. In the armor listed in Ephesians 6, there are five items for our protection, which are defensive, and then there is one for attack, which is offensive. The purpose for taking this armor, Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 13, is to withstand in the evil day. Now this is so this is so apparent now and I believe this scripture was right then and I believe that it is so true now. You don't have to look around very long to understand that we are in an evil day. You can't ride down the road and look at billboards and not know that we are in an evil day. It's in your face. It's, it's out there for the world to see. It's unashamed. And so why should we be ashamed of what we believe? Why should we be ashamed of what we have experienced? If they can put it on a billboard on the side of the road, then I ought to be able to open my mouth and proclaim it unashamed. There are moral pitfalls everywhere you look. Everywhere. There are, there are decisions that are being made in the highest of offices, wicked people. They're, 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 they, they may not understand what they're doing, but they are in the highest offices of our country. They are making decisions that affect the lives of every person here today. And so it's an evil day. It looks dark. <laughs> it looks bad. It's insurmountable. It's a lot. It's gross darkness. But can I tell you something? It's an evil day, but it's also a day to prove the power of, of God. It's an evil day, but it's also a day that we can stand firm in our faith and prove that God is right and he always will be. It's dark, but where 
darkness abounds, his light shines so much greater. Where sin abounds, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now, I'm going to just stay here for a minute until you get on board with me. It, it is an evil day. It, it, it is dark out there. It, there are moral pitfalls everywhere we look, but we've got some armor that we can put on, and we've got a spirit that can go before us, and we can be sure that God is going to do the work. It's an evil day. It's a, it's a dark day, but it's a day to prove the power of God, that God can do the miraculous. And so the armor provides the ability to withstand. When the enemy comes against us, we can defend the territory, defensive. And we can also take new territory, the offensive. And so when we have done all we can, when we equip ourselves with the, with the, with the very available items for both defense and offense, when we have applied every single truth we know, and when we have prayed every prayer that we can pray, then, and only then, do we take a stand on God's promises. Taking a stand on the promises of God is an act of faith that requires the entire armor of God, and it, and it is an act that must take place daily. And so for a few moments, let's just talk about that armor. First, Paul said, having your loins girt about with truth. The girdle. The girdle is not a part of the armor itself, but it provides the means to attach the other pieces and hold them together. The following garments, typical of the Mideast, the flowing garments of the Mideast, hampered the, the, the freedom of movement required for a race or for a battle. And the only way for people to prepare themselves for such an activity was to hitch their garments up with a, with a girdle or what is known as a belt. There's a reason that Paul begins with the girdle. There's a reason why he called it truth, having your loins girt about with truth. It's because truth is foundational. This article is appropriately foundational because the enemy typically does not use force, but he uses subtlety. He hides his weapons under a cloak, giving evil things the appearance of good. And his attacks often come mixing a little truth with a whole lot of lie that then both beguile and deceive. You see, the girdle or the belt enabled the warrior to fight unhindered, unimpaired. The garment was cinched and had everything cinched tightly to it. Consequently, if we don't have truth nailed down in our own lives, then everything else will become loose and ineffective. That is why Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It will make you free from bondage. It will make you free to understand. It will make you free to fight this battle unimpeded because we must know the truth. Amen. Secondly, he said, having the, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the vital organs and protects against wounds that would prove to be eminently fatal. This imagery is, de is derived from Isaiah 59 and 17 when God avenged his people. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to don God's own righteousness. A righteousness that informs our ethics and attends to the right decisions. 
It's a practical righteousness that enables the believer to make the right choices even when beset by severe temptation. He said to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Likely this is compared to the Roman soldier's sandal which gave him protection on his feet and for his feet. It gave him better footing especially when engaging in close range combat. They enabled him to stand and to withstand the enemy's attack. This is in direct reference to Isaiah 52 and 7 where the prophet envisioned Jehovah's messengers bringing tidings of true peace. In this context, the, the word preparation can refer to two things. To be prepared in season and out of season or to be prepared in one spirit and heart by the true peace that the gospel brings. Hear me now. True peace stabilizes us. True peace true, true peace grounds us. True pre peace brings us to center and prepares us for battle and it equips us with a voice that can be effective in, in, in being a messenger of the good news. And then Paul said above all, above all taking the shield of faith above, on over, at or in the shield of the Roman soldier. It covered the body and was flexible enough to be turned into any direction to block the blows of the enemy. I've seen them. They were bright. They were brightly colored. They were decorated. They were made to be seen. They were bright and they were bold. And so a very important aspect of this shield is that it was large and it was bold and it was made to be seen. It was made to be in front. It was made to be outward. Another reason, another aspect of this shield is that it was designed to interlock into shields like it. It was designed to be locked into the one next to it on its left and on its right with fellow soldiers. They were designed to come together and to create an impregnable wall to both protect and advance the army forward. And so is it any wonder that Paul likened Christian faith to the shield? I say no because that that is the beauty of faith. It is like a shield. It is designed to protect me, yes. But at the same time, it isn't only designed to protect me, but it is not designed to be joined to others like it. It is like precious faith. It is made to be joined to the ones beside it. It is joined. It is designed to make us triumphant together. Our shield is a shield of faith, not merely saving faith, but fighting faith. It's our shield. It's not just my shield or just your shield, but it's our shield, and it's our defense from the fiery attack together. And so my faith, my faith can fight for you, and your faith can fight for me, and my faith can defend you, and your faith can defend me, and together we can advance, and we will win the war. Together we will win this war. He said to take the helmet, the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head. Satan's first level of attack is always the mind. 
Through evil thoughts, he can build strongholds. He uses them to incite imaginations, which from there become uh, able to, to be controllable actions. Salvation is a gift to be taken by those who believe, and it provides deliverance in the midst of a battle. But sal salvation does more than that. It, it, it is the deliverance from the penalty of sin, but it also protects from the power of sin. Ultimately, it provides the hope of the final work of redemption, as suggested in the parallel passage of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8. Jesus Christ wore the helmet in Isaiah 59 and 17, both as creator and the giver of salvation. And so salvation, we need it. We need it with us. We need it every single day. We need to understand sin. We need to understand the penalty of sin. And we need to understand the power of sin. And if we understand that, then we can be overcomers of sin. And so far we have discussed the defensive. Yet we possess one very powerful offensive weapon as well. Paul called it the sword of the Spirit. He said the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word here in the Hebrew is rima, which refers to a specific truth. It refers to a specific truth that the Spirit applies to a specific situation. Jesus displayed the rima when he used the word, the rima word, by quoting the written word to defeat the devil's temptation. And so that is why we can apply the word to every situation that we fight or face in our lives. We can apply his written word, which becomes his rhema word, when it's used on a situation that is facing us. That is why Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and it is a zerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so the word is a weapon that can bring conviction of sin, and it has the ability to give the Christian soldier victory. When we are filled with his spirit, we allow his word to govern us. When we allow his word to possess us, the, the, the weapon that we possess can combat any temptation or any onslaught of the enemy. But there is one final aspect that we can't afford to leave out and I am hurrying Ephesians 6 and 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints prayer prayer enables us to prevail the same spirit that gives us access also guides our prayers or petitions that is why Paul said praying in the Spirit. Unlike the preceding elements of the previous verses, Paul did not specifically apply prayer to a certain metaphor. Perhaps this is because prayer is the summary of putting on the armor itself. Prayer is the very act of arming ourselves and preparing ourselves for battle. It's in prayer where we remind ourselves of who God is. It's there that we remind ourselves who is in control. It's in prayer that we surrender our will to his and present ourselves a willing vessel for him to use at his discretion. It's in prayer where he enables us and fills us over and over again with his provisional blessing and power because every spiritual battle that we face must include prayer. 
the, the New Testament adamantly charges believers to be watchful. With all of these calls to watchfulness almost always exclusively being tied to ap apocalyptic context, which is the end of this age. Prayer. Prayer is not an exercise in futility. Prayer is a weapon. And we have calls to use it more than we ever have before. God is calling us to be more intent. God is calling us to be more watchful. God is calling his people to be higher, to be prepared, and to persevere. To watch means to simply stay awake and to keep alert because the enemy is most assuredly on the prowl. But a praying believer is always aware of his devices and he is ready to meet the conflict head on, armed with the promises of God. Prayer is a weapon. But hear me, prayer is a discipline of endurance. I'm coming to an end. I'm coming to a close. There is one final aspect that makes all of this either possible or improbable. Paul said, having done all to stand. Stand. There's one final aspect that will make this work or not work. And that is the will to fight. The spring and summer of 2014, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, otherwise known as ISIL, achieved a series of stunning military victories in northern Iraq. Particularly shocking to civilian observers was the news that comparatively small numbers of fighters prevailed against a significant Iraqi army force. On paper, the larger Iraqi force had the clear advantage. In practice, their numerical superiority vanished as their forces fled, having no will to fight against the ISIL advance. That was not the first time a conflict has been resolved by a strong or a weak will to fight, nor will it be the last. Both the U.S. Army and the U.S. Marine Corps argue that the will to fight is the single most important factor of war. Will to fight helps determine whether a military unit stays in the fight or how well it fights. And so can I tell you this morning, we got to pray when we don't feel like it. We got to pray when it isn't convenient. We've got to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. We must pray in order to make a stand against the onslaught of a relentless enemy because he will only leave you alone for a season and he will return. We must pray like we've never prayed before in order to make a stand against him. We have to have the will to fight. David said, is there not a cause? Outmatched, perhaps even outwitted. He was outmatched by the world. Standards he didn't possess very, very little of anything that could defeat the enemy that stood before him. But because of his will to fight and by the power of the Spirit of God, David prevailed against the giant. He stood on the promises of God and he stood on the provision of God. And he benefited from the protection 
of God. And so this morning, quite literally, as I ask you to stand, can I tell you to stand? Stand when it doesn't feel good. Stand when it isn't popular. Stand. Stand when it seems impossible. And watch God do the miraculous. Stand when it's not popular to all the, those that are around you and watch God back you up every time. And together, let's stand knowing that God will and is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let's stand. Let's stand together and let's do the will of God. Let's stand together and let's be what God has called us to be. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? And let's ask him, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the ability to stand. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity to stand. God, we just ask you now that you would put it in us. God, more than it ever has been, the will to live, the will to fight, the will to go another day. God, knowing that you are able, that you are willing, that you are, that you are active in our lives to do the miraculous. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor for who you are in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You've been kind this morning. Thank you for being in service. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.